Living by the Book is our theme for 2013. We believe that this is the actual Word of God. Not just the Word of men, but the actual Word of God. And because of that, it is the infallible guide for life and for the afterlife. So we're looking at a number of different things this year that we should live by the book. Do what it says and understand what it says. Uh, Today we finish our second series of living confidently by the book. Uh, This series is because there are some Christians who are nervous, guilty, list keepers, trying to be perfect in behavior and trying to know everything perfectly and worried that somehow their performance has something to do with getting into heaven. We don't live perfect lives. We don't have perfect knowledge. We don't measure up against each other even. And when we do that, we under, when we think that way, uh, there's no way that we can live a joyful, abundant life. Some of us have some of those problems. Those of us who don't have some of those problems still need to remember the joy of our salvation and live with the confidence that the book says we ought to live with. So that's why we're talking about living confidently by the book. We've had a little interruption in this series, and I, I wish somehow we could, I wish we could have done it all in one Sunday, really. Uh, and I was thinking about that this break, I thought of the movie a while back, The Men in Black. Uh, they had those little things they could pull out of their pocket and neuralize you. <laughs> and, and you would forget everything that you'd seen or heard for a while. I wish I had one that would restore memory uh, over the past few weeks so that everything we'd talked about in the first three lessons would just be all be there. Uh, because they were really good lessons. And this one's even better. Uh, I wish it was all there at once. Uh, in fact, let's try if we see if we can do that. Just, just stare at the screen for about 30 seconds and see if it all comes back to you. We're going to do a real quick review here. Our first lesson was 1 John 5.13. You may know that you have eternal life, and we learned, I am saved. As Christians, we ought to be able to say, I am saved. Then we added a reason. Romans 8.39 says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So, I am saved because... Of the love of God. Uh, the last time we were together, we added another reason from Romans 8 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I am saved because of the love of God and because of the grace of God. Today's verse will add one more reason, and it's 1 John 1 7. But if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from every sin. Keep your finger there in 1 John 1. We're we're going to come back to that passage every once in a while. Brother Craig just read it for us. We're going to go through it a couple more times because this is a great verse. I don't know how many people have this on their list of favorite verses or their most favorite verse, but this ought to be on some lists. Our reason this week I am saved because of the blood of Jesus. 
Yes, because of the love of God. Yes, because of the grace of God, but also because of the blood of Jesus. To understand this, we've got to know two things. First, we have to know about the blood. So first, let's talk about the blood. Now, we recognize the value of blood. We understand it. In a physical sense, we know about blood and how powerful it is. It's, it's tied to life. If someone's injured in a serious accident or whatever, I guess first you'd check to see if they were breathing. But after that, if they're bleeding, you stop the bleeding. The blood is that important. We have blood drives here so that there will be blood in storage for people who are who need it. Who are, if you're really sick, you get blood. Uh, if you're really, really sick, they change your blood. Uh, blood is the life. In fact, the Bible even says that. The life is in the blood, speaking in a physical way. But throughout the Bible, it goes beyond the physical. And the Bible talks a lot about blood in a spiritual sense. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, that's not a message to explain why God chose to do it this way. But he did. All we can deal with is the fact that we understand the physical power of blood, and we understand that God chose this picture of blood to atone for sins, to forgive. Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. Well, that's physically. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. God took this picture and said, here's what you need to understand. The life is in the blood and blood atones for sin. Now, I'm going to read to you a few things from first uh, from Leviticus 16. and You don't need to. I'm going to be skipping around. You couldn't keep up. But Leviticus 16 is about the Day of Atonement. And before we read that, you need to understand a couple of things about the Old Testament and about the, the sacrificial system. There was a tabernacle, later, later a temple, that had a holy place where the priest could go into. And there was an altar and some other things in there. And then beyond that, there was a most holy place. There was a curtain that separated. And only the high priest could go in there. In that room were a few items, but one was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a golden box. And in it were a number of things, but one was the Law of Moses. The the tablets of stone were in there. And over that was a lid, a seat... Uh, an atonement cover, the Old Testament calls it. And above that were two angels where God chose to picture his presence. He said, that's where I am. That's where I sit. When they opened the tabernacle, he came down in glory. The Shekinah of God filled the tabernacle and he took up residence, figuratively, on the mercy seat thing. So the picture that the people had is, here's God up above these angels. 
There's an atonement cover between him and the law. When he looks down, he sees the law. All right, now you've got that picture. Now we go to Leviticus 16. And in Leviticus 16, it describes the Day of Atonement. And it starts out, and God said through Moses, uh, to Moses, tell Aaron and the high priest that he can't go into the most holy place anytime he chooses. If he does, he'll lose his life. He'll die. But on the Day of Atonement, he says, tell Aaron to get, and that was the high priest, get a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a sin offering. For a burnt offering. And then once you've got them, put on the sacred garments. And the sacred garments are so sacred that first you have to bathe in a special way with water before you put them on. Then you put them on. Then get two goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And then you offer the bull for your own sin. Aaron was supposed to take care of his sin and his household sin with the sacrificing of the bull. And then take the two goats and cast lots over them and select one of them to be sacrificed and another one to hold back for later to be the scapegoat. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Then, once he's got all these animals and he's sacrificed the bull and he's got the blood from it, then it says to take a censer, a bowl of burning coals from the altar and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense And then he goes beyond the curtain. And he steps into the curtain. And the first thing he does is puts the incense over the burning coals so that the room is filled with smoke. The smoke has to cover the atonement cover so God can't see what's going on in figurative sense. Once the smoke has covered the, the atonement cover, then he takes the blood of the bull... And with his finger, he sprinkles it on the atonement cover. And he sprinkles it seven times on the atonement cover. What that pictures, and the smoke prevented for a while until the blood is there, then when God looks down, he can't see the law compared to Aaron and compared to all the other sacrifices he's going to make because the blood covers it. When an unholy man walks into the most holy place, if God looks at the law and looks at the man, the man has to die compared to the law. But when the blood is there, that covers it. All symbolic and figurative, I know that, but get the picture. Covers it with smoke and then covers it with blood and then he can, then things are all right with him. Then he can go on and he makes similar sacrifices for the altar and the tabernacle and for the people and on and on. He comes out to the altar after that and he takes the other bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and he puts it on all the horns of the altar. He's making sacrifice for the altar. He's atoning for it. And then uh, he takes the live goat. Uh, after he sacrificed one goat for the people, then he takes the live goat and he gives the one more picture. Now the people are watching this. He brings the scapegoat up, the last goat, and he puts his hands on its head. 
And he may have said something, but symbolically he's telling them, your sins, all of your sins, Israel, are now on the head of this goat. And then he has an assistant take the goat and leave the area and walk out of the camp and walk out into the wilderness and keep going until there is a place where the goat will never come back. And the people watch all this. They see all of this happening. And at the end of Leviticus 16, God says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, this is what you do. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonements for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting, for the altar, and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. This is just one day. Do you understand that on sacrifice days and on feast days and on the Day of Atonement, the area of sacrifice must have been like a slaughterhouse floor? The area of sacrifice must have been like a slaughterhouse floor. And that offends us, that bothers us. Some of you wrinkled your noses at the bloody lamb. But do you understand in the picture God is teaching the people, this is what the people saw. Bulls and rams and goats and lambs and animal after animal shedding their blood because of man's sin. In this modern age where we don't have to see blood, people don't know where chickens at the grocery store come from. They think they're born on styrofoam or something. We don't understand blood. But these people understood. And on feast days and on the Day of Atonement, they saw blood and more blood and more blood. And family after family came up with their sacrifice for the priest to slaughter. And after everything had been sprinkled with blood and blood poured on this and blood poured on that, the people got the connection. The people saw what was going on. And after they made that connection, finally the scapegoat comes. And the priest symbolically puts all their sins on this scapegoat and sends him away. Another graphic picture of getting rid of sins. Now, that's Old Testament stuff. I know that. But we have to know that. For the New Testament to make some sense. Because the principle of atonement by blood is continued in the New Testament. Golgotha was just as bloody as the area of sacrifice. John one twenty nine. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They probably didn't understand then. 
They, they knew the Old Testament sacrificial system, but they didn't know what John was talking about. The apostles didn't know what Jesus was talking about at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, 28. It says, then he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The writer of Hebrews explains why the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And it's about the blood of Jesus. Let me read to you from Hebrews 9, verse 11. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. I don't know if you're convinced, but I'm convinced. I know there's power in the blood. I know the power of the blood, all kinds of blood, especially the blood of Jesus is what we're talking about. On the day of salvation, on the day of my baptism, what did I trust fully in? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. On that day, that's what we fully trusted in, folks. We, we believe there is power in the blood. Now that we understand that, now let's talk about walking in the light, because that's the other part of the passage. You can go back to 1 John 1 now, verse 5 and verse 6. Get this, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't put the truth into practice. And then verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. First John 1, 7 is conditional. Got to understand that. If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from every sin. We've got to figure out what the condition is. What's that mean? We can look for some clues in 1 John. That's what the book was written for, so that we can know we have eternal life. So let's look for some clues. Verse 8's got a clue. Right after he says this, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So we know walking in the light is not sinlessness. Get that out of your mind right now. If you think walking in the light is doing everything perfect and performing well, you're wrong. You understand that came right after verse 7. Verse 7, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus continually purifies us from all sin, but... 
Don't think that means sinlessness. John covered that quick. Then he goes on, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we also know that walking in the light involves confessing. And we know two things now. We're getting some clues. We know it's not about being sinless. And we know that if we sin, we confess that and he forgives us and the blood purifies us. Now we've got to figure out one other thing before we conclude this. Let's think about it this way. Why do we sin? I don't know if you ever sat down and asked yourself why people sin. Hopefully you've thought about it some, but why do people sin? Well, I know Satan tempts us. Some people like to blame it on Satan. Flip Wilson, most of you don't remember him, but Flip said, always said, the devil made me do it. It's his answer for everything. We did something wrong. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make anybody do anything. But we sin for a number of different reasons. And, and this is for folks now who have the wrong idea of perfection and behavior and perfect knowledge and all of that. Because if, when you're in that mode, you've got to keep track. And you've got to think, okay, if I sin, I've got to confess. Well, it, that's a hard thing to do all the time. It's hard to keep up with because of why we sin. Let's think about it. One reason we sin is we sin out of weakness. Sometimes we're just weak. And you say, well, I, I don't know if I'd admit that or not. Well, you might as well because Paul did. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 said in verse 21, said, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, the evil's right there with me. Does that sound familiar to anybody? When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? See, if you think it's about sinlessness, which Paul used to think, and you're keeping track of all this, that's what he's trying to tell us, is there's two things going on here. I delight in God's law. I want to do right, but sin's always after me. And I don't always do what I want to do. I'm weak. I'm a wretched man. And who's going to rescue me? Well, what's his answer? But of Jesus. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's the answer. That's why this guy that says, I'm weak, I sin all the time, I mess up, I don't do what I want to do, can say, I'm going to heaven. I am saved. I am saved because of the love of God and because of the grace of God and because of the blood of Jesus. I am saved. We do sin out of weakness. And that's okay. You ever think you'd hear a preacher tell you it's okay to sin? Well, I'd be silly not to admit it after what we just read, wouldn't I? 
If we say we have no sin, we're lying. But in the verse before that, he says we're going to heaven anyway. <laughs> the blood's continually purifying us. Paul understood that. When we recognize the sin out of weakness, what do we do? We confess it when we recognize it. But if you just stop there, you might think, okay, every time I think of a sin that I did, i got to confess right then. i got to stop and have a prayer and everything will be all right. Well, here's the problem. We sin for another reason. Another reason we sin is we sin in ignorance. Oh, this starts to make it trickier. Anybody in here ever be reading the Bible or hearing a sermon or reading some Christian book and read about something and say, oh my, I didn't know that was a sin. I never thought of that. 20 years ago, that would have never entered my head that that was a sin. But now that I see this verse, or now that I hear that explanation, or now that I've matured enough to understand what he's talking about, I realize 20 years ago, I sinned. And maybe at that point I say immediately, well, God, forgive me for that sin 20 years ago. But what about the last 20 years? Or the last 20 minutes? Or the last 20 seconds? What got that sin forgiven? You can't go to heaven with unforgiven sins. So what got it forgiven? Well, it either got forgiven or you've been guilty for 20 years. And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I think you were forgiven. Why do I think you were forgiven? I think you were forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. That's what this verse says. That's why this 1 John 1, 7 is such an amazing verse. And the reason we don't get it sometimes is because we don't look at that word cleanse or purify or whatever translation you've got. Let me try to illustrate. When I wash my car or take it through car wash or something, they never get the windows right. I always have to go home and wash the windows. I get my Windex. I get a towel. I wash my windshield. I clean it off. I get inside the car and I clean inside the car. I got a special tool that my kids got me for Christmas. It's amazing. It's a nice thing. You reach up in the corners with it and everything. I get it clean. I like a clean windshield. Yeah. So I can say that I clean my windshield. But when I'm driving in the rain, and the rain or whatever is blowing and covering up my window, what cleans my windshield? My windshield wiper. They clean my windshield so I can see. Okay. Now, the word is different there. I say I clean my windshield, and I say my windshield wipers clean my windshield, but there's a difference, and in 1 John 1, 7, it's the second one, which implies a continual cleaning. I clean my windshield with Windex once, every few weeks or every month or, or something. The Israelites got their sins cleansed once a year. The blood cleaned their sins once a year. But 1 John 1, 7, this is good news, folks, pay attention. The blood of Jesus continually is the word. It ought to be in there. 
continuously cleanses us of every sin. As soon as that drop of water hits the windshield, my windshield wiper gets rid of it. It erases it, it cleans it, it continuously purifies it. I was in Oklahoma one time, it was raining mud. The Oklahomans understand that. It's a weird thing, but it did. There was so much red dirt in the sky that a rainstorm started, and it was raining mud for five or ten minutes. I mean, great big red drops of mud all over your car. The windshield wiper continually cleansed that. We sin out of weakness. We sin out of ignorance. Sadly, sometimes we sin in open rebellion. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. You ever run into anybody like that? Are they sitting where you're sitting, perhaps? I know this is wrong. I, I, I think about it, and I, I know I shouldn't do this, or I should do this instead, but I'm going to do it anyway. And usually we excuse it some way. And Satan's got a list of a million ways to excuse it. He's got all sorts of reasons you can use. One of his favorites is, well, God wants me to be happy. (laughs) So we say, I know this is wrong, but God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to do it. We'll talk some other time about how foolish that is, but that's the way it works. You know how this works. Some people do something like that. They do something wrong. They behave in a certain way that they, they know is really wrong, and they realize it later. They think about it. They spend some time with God or some friend points it out to them or something. And they say, yep, that that was wrong. I really do want to follow the light. Paul said, in my mind, I delight in the law of God. I want to walk in the light. And so they confess and they they get on the right track and they, they, they get tuned back in with God and all that. But some people... Seem to not hit that point. They they keep doing, and it's really not the problem of doing. It's the the mental process of I'm going to do it anyway. They they don't listen to God is what the problem is, and, and it gets complicated here. It gets tricky because they they want to, but they really don't, and they they, they don't want to listen to God. They reason it away some way. And, and sometimes they turn back and get back where they start listening to God completely again and walking in the light fully again. But some people just keep getting further and further away. They don't want to hear God. They're tired of that conscience bothering them, so they get further away and they go to darker places. He is in the light. There's no darkness at all. And the more you get toward darker places, the less you hear him, the less you're tuned in to him. And it gets easier after a time. And you keep going further. And I know at any point somebody can come back. I understand all that. And I can't explain this theologically, but you know it from real life what I'm talking about. At some point, I've got to believe that people stop walking in the light. I can't tell you when that is. 
I can't show you because it really doesn't happen in the behavior. It happens in the mind. It's when they decide, I don't want to hear God anymore. The Bible talks about it. It talks about we being able to quench the Spirit. Tell the Spirit, I don't want to listen to you anymore. I'm going to put you out. The Bible says we can grieve the Spirit. The Spirit tries, but if we want listen, if we want to grieve Him, if we want to quench Him, we can block Him out. I can't describe precisely when that happens, but I'll tell you, that's where our conditional word if becomes the problem. Because 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. If it says that, it also says, if we don't walk in the light, the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse us anymore. That's the condition. That's the illogical conclusion. So when we stop walking in the light, the blood stops cleansing. We have nothing to look forward to but hell. Now, that's not the purpose of this series. But to talk about why we sin, I had to cover that. But that's not the purpose of this series. Our verse today can give us great confidence. If we walk in the light... The blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from every sin. We don't have to keep the list. We don't have to confess one nanosecond after we sin. I'm not saying you shouldn't confess if you've done wrong, but sometimes we don't even know we've done wrong. When that happens, the blood of Jesus wipes it out anyway. That's good news. That's how you live confidently is understanding that. I'm talking to every Christian who needs to know these truths. This series is about every Christian who needs to know the unconditional love of Jesus, of love of God, the amazing, all-encompassing grace of God, and the continual total, eternal power of the blood. Don't forget how we talked about the blood. The power is there. And when Jesus made that sacrifice, he did it once for all. It continually covers our sin. I trusted fully in it on that day of beginning. I'm going to trust fully in it until the day of my home going. That's how we live confidently. We are saved. We're not good enough. We we don't know enough. We don't measure up to other people in this room even. And Satan will take all of that and try to convince us to, to make us guilty, to make us fear sin and keep those lists and all of that. But I'm not afraid of him. I'm not afraid of 10,000 men that tell me I'm not good enough. I am saved because of the love of God and because of the grace of God and because of the blood of Jesus. That's what we're here for, to understand how to live confidently. Now it's your turn. Remember our plan this year? We're going to know something. We're going to speak that something. And we're going to act on that truth. If you want to live confidently by the book, I've got it condensed pretty well for you. 
I think you know now I am saved because of the love of God, because of the grace of God, and because of the blood of Jesus. Speak that. Speak that repeatedly. Speak that every time Satan or one of his minions tries to tell you you're not, you tell him you are. I am saved. And here's why. I got scriptures. I got them memorized. I can tell you, Satan. You know what happens when you quote scripture to him? He's out of here for a while. He'll come back, but he'll leave. Now, you know and can speak these things. You may know that you have eternal life. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from every sin. You know these. You can speak them. The question is, will you act on them? Will you act? I am saved. Because of the love of God, the grace of God, and the blood of Jesus. Will you act on this series, Living Confidently in Christ? It'll make your life more joyful. It'll do a whole lot of good things for you if you live confidently. Will you act on the first series? Some of you still need to act on that. Living eternally by the book. We started this morning by talking about sin is our great enemy. There's some things with sin. There's guilt of sin that you have to pay for. There's fear of sin and what it does in our life. There are the consequences of sin. Now, being in Christ, where the love is, where the grace is, where the blood continually cleanses, that frees us of that guilt and fear stuff. Uh, that just takes that away once we understand. Now, we'll still suffer from the consequences of sin. Not just ours, but other people's. Sin messes up this old world. Makes this old life tough. But to live confidently in Christ, we, we get rid of that guilt and fear. Those people in Christ, how amazing is it to be able to say this? I am saved. Why am I saved? Oh, the love of God. He loves me and nothing can separate us. The grace of God is total, all-encompassing, unbelievable, amazing grace. And the blood of Jesus is so powerful that he just shed it once and it, that took care of it forever and it continually cleanses me of every sin. If you're not able to say what you see on the screen right now, if you're not able to say that confidently, then you're surely not living an abundant life. You're absolutely not ready to die. Do what you need to do today. Let's stand and sing.